In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. There's a case to be made that the early Christians thought this story of the feeding of the 5,000, one of the most important stories about Jesus to tell. There is overlap between how each of the Gospel writers tell the story of Jesus, of course, but this is a rare one in that Matthew, Mark, Luke and John all make space for this to be included in their respective telling of events. And there's been all sorts of interpretations of this story. One approach is to stick with the straightforward miraculous, loaves and fishes abounding somehow. Another has been to look at it as an unseen miracle of the heart, in that when those very few loaves and fishes were brought forward for the sake of the whole crowd, suddenly all those other thousands of people were inspired to bring out and share the food which they had safely tucked away with them. I've heard from one side of the political economic spectrum that this proves the merits and effectiveness of capitalism and trickle-down economics. The resources all flowed to the top as an investment and because that was the most efficient place to invest, everyone benefited at the end of the day. Similarly, from the other side of the political economic system, uh, that it shows the benefits of socialist practice and the fair and equitable distribution of resources. Many ways that this has been looked at. Today, though, I just want to look at it through the lens of uh, scarcity and extravagance. And to do that, start by going back into the scene and fleshing out some of the details. So this event happens just after Jesus has been doing a lot of teaching and healing and those other aspects of God's work. And we've heard some of that teaching in the past couple of weeks. After that... He went back to his hometown of Nazareth and taught there, but experienced rejection. The parting lament was, prophets are not without honour, except in their hometown. And straight after that, Herod, and this is the son of the King Herod from when Jesus was born, had John the Baptist... Uh, Jesus' cousin, killed. And Jesus had just found that out. So at this point, he was probably tired, grieving, and pushing up against the limits of what is healthy for any human being, even one born of God in a unique way. But instead of actually finding peace on a retreat, crowds of people followed him. And as soon as he encountered them, 
his compassion was stirred yet again. And he goes into his healing ministry straight away. And there are thousands and thousands of people. And whilst it's known as the story of the feeding of the 5,000, remember that is only the men that were gathered. You add in the women and the children, it could have been a crowd of something like 15 to 20,000 people. Or to put it another way, as much or more than the suburbs of Cannington, East Cannington, Queen's Park and Wilson, all put together. So as the day draws to a close, the disciples come to him. Maybe just the core 12, though that's not made clear. And they want to send the crowds away so they can find food and rest. And to that little group of 12, Jesus says, you give them something to eat. 12 people to feed well over 10,000 at least. I've got to say, as much as it would have been an extraordinary thing to be in the presence of Jesus as he went about his ministry, at times it may have also been overwhelming and scary. If I was one of those 12, if I was one of those 12, I think I may have been quite afraid. Because my thought would be, how? How? This can't be done. It doesn't even make sense. Is this even the best use of resources? There just isn't enough. We cannot do it. Maybe that resonates a bit with you too, or maybe I'm just a heretic. I don't know. But I think that mindset of scarcity is a dangerous thing to buy into. It's like going into survival mode. And that is not a good place to be. As individuals, when that happens, the adrenaline spikes, blood flows to the muscles to fight and defend or flee or freeze, the higher function of the brain becomes limited. And something quite akin to that can happen at a wider group level as well. When the church is in survival mode, we focus on what we don't have and cling defensively to what we do. Generosity can turn to austerity Open hands turn to closed fists and hearts of flesh to those of stone. Our eyes only see the threat right in front of us rather than the possibilities on the horizon. And in a way, looking to the possibilities on the horizon is what Jesus does. He takes what he's got available, but instead of then looking out with horror 
at the daunting prospect of feeding so many, he looks to heaven. He doesn't focus on the limitations at hand, but looks to the possibilities of what can be done when what is at hand is consecrated to the service of God. And somehow, somehow, I can't explain it any more than I can explain the very, very surprising ability of Jesus to effectively usher more than 10,000 people to sit down quickly and in an orderly manner or uh, grapple with how long it possibly would have taken for so few to feed so many, knowing how long even a simple distribution of communion in a church can take. Somehow, the possibilities and extravagance of God was invited into that space. Through the presence of Jesus, the stuff of the world became transparent to the purposes of God. And ultimately, there was enough. In fact, there was more than enough. Scarcity gave way to abundance through the work of God and the cooperation of those people committed to the service of God. It doesn't say uh, what the response of the people or the disciples was to all this. Apart from that, they were filled And I think it's reasonable to think that this refers to an inward disposition as well. Filled perhaps with gratitude, amazement, delight, joy, hope, wonder. I can see their downcast eyes light up as the prospect of emptiness and scarcity led instead to fullness and extravagance. And maybe they carried that with them from then on. A new abiding sense of what God can do and a mind geared to recognise and delight in those moments of God's extravagance. And actually... One of the ways I've heard the um, call to turn towards the gospel described that I think is pretty helpful is that it inspires a revolution of the imagination, of the mind. At a basic level, it's just another way of saying the gospel is about changing your mind which is what the Greek word metanoia, which is commonly translated as repent, actually means. Change your mind. And part of that revolution of the imagination, the changing of the mind, the repentance, is to shift our eyes from what we can do to what God can do which is quite a lot more, actually. 
and it's commonly been recognised down the centuries of the church that this is an ongoing practice. Call it sanctification or discipleship or a habit of repentance or prayerful growing into God or all of that. There is a habit that can be formed in each of us of recognising what is in front of us but also looking to heaven and then looking anew at what is there but more attuned to how God sees what we see with a view to extravagance, fullness, surprise. We can practice seeing the more that God sees and that Jesus seeks to call forth through the power of the Spirit in his people. We can look at ourselves and our limitations, look at one another and the resources we share, and look outside and be daunted by the prospect of feeding so many with such scarcity. Or we can look at ourselves and each other and even recognising the frailties also lean into our identities as beloved children of God. We can breathe deep of the goodness and generosity of God and find our hearts and hands and hope also expand. We can step out and see much need and work to do. Ask God for a glimpse of heaven. And with Jesus, ask that the Father's will be done. And then go out in peace to love and serve the Lord. Bring fullness to others and thus be filled ourselves. The Lord be with you.